morning. Today's scripture is from 2 Corinthians. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are the ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making appeal, his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The word of God, word of life. Thank you, Joni. See, I forgot to mention, uh, I, I do have a family. I'm married, and uh, my wife is a puppeteer, and uh, my, uh, I, we have a, uh, a daughter uh, who's married and has a son, and they live in Eden Prairie, and then I have a, a son who's also uh, living in Maui, except when he's living on a sailboat around the waters of Mexico. And uh, we grew up in, I grew up in a small town, Minnesota, where I have lots of Scandinavian relatives, which reminds me, uh, a couple of my uncles were fishing a couple of weeks ago, Oli and Sven, <laughs> and, um, and uh, they, they had caught their limit. I mean, they, this was a fantastic day. So Oli says, Sven, uh, we need to mark the spot so then we come tomorrow, we can get the same limit. And Sven says, yeah, Oli, that's a good idea. I'll mark the spot. So Oli goes back and he, and he gets the motor going and he puts all the fishing gear away and they head on into the resort. They get to the dock and uh, Oli turns around now and he says, now Sven, did you mark the spot? And, and Sven says, yeah, Oli, I put a big X on the side of the boat where we was fishing. <laughs> Oli says, ah, Sven, what were you thinking? But we take a different boat tomorrow. <laughs> okay, anyway, that's, that's my, that's my culture, uh, culture heritage. <laughs> hey, a few weeks ago, I was reading uh, the scriptures for today, and uh, Paul's letter to the Second Corinthians, where he talks about the minister of reconciliation, really jumped out at me. Because uh, as he's talking about the, uh, how, how the Corinthians are not being reconciled with one another, I thought immediately of, of our situation today in, let's see, am I having a problem here? Am I okay, Jack? All right, sorry about that. Um, because our situation, uh, we're just plagued by the lack of reconciliation, especially between the races. And I thought, 
this really has something to say to us. And so I've been asking God the last few weeks, Lord, what does this scripture have to say to us today in 21st century America? So let's take a look at, at um, 1 Corinthians, or, or 2 Corinthians, and see what Paul is talking about and then how it might apply to us. Corinth was a modern commercial city in Greece. Lots of Greek and Roman gods, uh, temples, sort of a, a hedonistic culture. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he had found that already they had reverted back to the way they had been living before they became Christians. And so that's why he's uh, writing to them. They were taking... We'll see if that one works a little bit better. That's already better, huh? Okay. Okay, so let's see. I got to start all over now, right? No. <laughs> anyway, so so Paul, what Paul was finding is that the uh, Corinthians had reverted back to their former behaviors of looking at each other with the same kind of social behaviors and class distinctions based on status, on wealth, education, business, the whole thing. They were judging one another uh, about all kinds of different issues, arguing first fiercely about the right way to worship and the right way to live out their faith. And at the Eucharistic meal, which was sort of a huge dinner lunch after every worship service, unlike sort of the way we do it today, they weren't even sharing food with each other. They're all in their little groups, you know, eating, eating the Eucharistic meal together. And, and Paul says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. And so in this, uh, uh, in this passage, this, this scripture reading, Paul makes two clear points. First of all, he says, guys, Jesus Christ changes everything. Jesus Christ changes everything. The New Living Translation translates uh, verse 17 as, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. This is from God, Paul says, who is reconciling the world, which means all of humanity, to himself for one purpose, to completely eradicate the terrible burden of enslavement to our sinful nature that prevents us from enjoying a healthy, life-giving relationship with God. Paul says it's a beautiful gift that God has given us. By coming into the flesh of humanity in the person of Jesus as a recompense 
for all the ways that we hurt and harm others and ourselves. It's the ultimate act of love, forgiving us unconditionally and then giving us a brand new slate for future. Jesus Christ has changed everything. That's Paul's first point. Second point is uh, that God has given all of us, the Corinthians and, and us, the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, Paul says God is entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says in verse 20, so we are ambassadors for Christ. Meaning that not only are we reconciled to God through Christ, but we are now representatives of this way of life to become reconciled to every other person as well, to look upon each other as God looks upon us without favoritism, without class distinctions, without status, treating each other with respect, dignity, and equal regard. In verse 16, Paul says, So from now on, from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. And he makes the same point in his letter to the Colossians, when he writes, in this life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, which is sort of different races in a sense, even though they didn't look upon it that way. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. That's the two points. Jesus has changed everything, and secondly, he's entrusted to us that same ministry of reconciliation. Like many of you, when I watched the cell phone video of Derek Chauvin squeezing the life out of George Floyd uh, a little over a year ago as he lay handcuffed, I was outraged. The more I learned about the circumstances, I thought, okay, you know, maybe there's something else going on here. But the more I learned, the more outraged I became. It was a firestorm, not only throughout our whole community of Minneapolis-St. Paul, Minnesota, our nation and the world, literally, was a firestorm around the world. And for me, as, as I'm sure for many of you, I decided enough is enough. I didn't know what to do, but I decided that I could not sit by passively and witness this ongoing culture of injustice continue without trying to make a difference. And I began reading every book on racism and the Civil War and slavery and Jim Crow and racial equity that I could get my hands on. I joined the racial equity team at Mount Olivet last fall and a couple of other organizations. I took the intercultural development inventory with, with several of you, actually. And over the past year, um, I've learned a lot about issues of racial equity. I have learned from people of color 
who have different perspectives. I've learned about myself and my own Nordic white culture, which I didn't realize I had a white culture. And I can see that I'm in a different place than I was a year ago. I still have a long way to go. But I would, I would recommend to all of us, when you're ready, to begin that same kind of a process because it helps start the process of reconciliation, especially between the races. One of the first books I read was The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. He's a pastor, historian, because I wanted to understand the role of the church and, and how Christians have responded to the issues of racial equity, especially back during the 1800s. And as I read, my heart just broke. I just wasn't aware of these things before. As I read about the complicity of our brothers and sisters in Christ who populated the church in the 1700s and the 1800s and the 1900s. Again and again, the church had multiple opportunities to step up, to give voice to the voiceless. Isn't that what we hear from the scriptures? to speak out against the terrible injustices that were happening daily on plantations and in legislatures and in courts in an effort to keep one class of human beings, those who had darker skin, at the bottom of a caste system without access to the freedoms that were guaranteed by our national constitution, without payment for their labor, without a say over their family, without any voice as to if and when any of their own children were bought or sold, and without any end in sight. Once the Civil War put an end to slavery in the South, just eight years later, white leaders and landowners began to pass and enact discriminatory state and local laws that were once again designed to keep people who had darker skin in a socioeconomic status at the bottom of an informal caste system. And I kept asking myself, where's the church? Where were the people of God to whom the ministry of reconciliation had been entrusted? Where was the voice of the church? Where was the prophetic and moral voice of the church? Now, to be fair, it wasn't the whole church, and it wasn't every Christian that was complicit through the centuries since 1619. There were voices in the church that spoke up and there were individual churches, especially the Quakers, that, that acted. But overall, the actions and the voices were but a whisper in the wave of silent complicity that strangled the voice of the church. 
and deceive the people of God out of their identity as ambassadors of Christ, who had been entrusted by Jesus himself with the ministry of reconciliation. Jamar Tisby writes, the failure of many Christians in the South and across the nation to decisively oppose the racism in their families, their communities, and even their own churches provided fertile soil for the seeds of hatred to grow. The refusal to act in the midst of injustice is itself an injustice. Indifference to oppression perpetuates oppression. So where does that leave us? I didn't come, by the way, to bring a message of depression today uh, or hopelessness, but, but rather, rather my purpose is to reignite Paul's message of reconciliation among the followers of Christ, us. Just as the Corinthians needed to be reminded of the gospel and of their identity and ambassadorship in Christ, so I believe the church today, especially in America, needs to be reminded of our identity and of the ministry of reconciliation, especially between the races that God has given us. Now, I know it's not easy to talk about these things. I've, I've struggled personally with the whole guilt of slavery and the continuing impact today. Who's to blame? Uh, the issues of white privilege that I've just begun to awaken to. In fact, I remember a few years ago when I was at a, a, an ELCA gathering and some of the leaders were first talking about white privilege, I just sort of bristled at that because I thought I struggled as a little child and our family, we were so poor. Uh, I lived in a trailer house for the first 10 years of my life and we scraped by with every penny. I remember that. But when I think about the advantages that my white skin and my male gender have afforded me in opening up summer jobs after high school and between college, and then opened up a pathway to college, and then graduate school in Chicago? I think, yeah, I can recognize that I had a major advantage over people of color for whom those, those weren't even pathways just because of the color of my skin and the fact that I belong to the dominant culture. Racial inequity is in some ways a little like climate change. You and I didn't start it, we didn't cause it, and it's not our fault. But we've inherited it. We've inherited it. And now many of us benefit from the injustices that others endure because of discriminatory injustice that's been written into our laws, in our banking system, our economic system, our criminal justice system. It permeates our culture in ways that we're not even aware of. And so the question is, I think for all of us today, what will we do about it? What will we do about it? 
And I think this is what many white people are beginning to wake up to. I hope it is. And I hope and I pray it's what the church is waking up to and wrestling with because we need the voice of the church. Paul's message of reconciliation to the Corinthians in their context is very timely for us in our context as well, reminding us of our identity in Christ and reminding us of the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted to us as the people who follow Jesus. Amen.